the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them to us using our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, especially on a day like this when the streets are all wet, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we've got a lot going on tonight. I'm going to be teaching the Old Testament prophet Amos uh, chapters three and four. Um, it's hard, <laughs> you know, one and two was hard. Three and four is even harder, I think. So, uh, boy, it was really tough to be an Old Testament prophet, but he certainly was. So that is tonight. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. But as always, we have plenty of room on Wednesday nights. Uh, you are welcome to join us live as well. And then, of course, tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program. So you can be ready for that. I would appreciate your phone calls or questions or comments. Well, let's get to some questions and then we will we will await your phone calls. Pino, I hope I'm saying that right. It's P-I-N-O. Pino says, um, I tend to worry a lot. Is that sin and how can I get over it? Pino, everybody worries a lot. You're not alone. Everybody worries a lot. And we know that Jesus was continually telling his disciples and others, do not worry. Uh, be anxious for nothing. And and so that that's just part of the human condition. Now, how we respond to worry, that's whether or not it determines if it gets into the category of sin or not. Just the fact that we worry. And Pino, I'm going to be really transparent with you. I worry every day. I worry. People say, well, if you really have faith, you won't worry. If you really have faith, you won't be afraid. Well, I worry and I'm afraid all the time. There's just so much going on and it just seems like the stakes are so high. And I don't want to be the guy that messes things up. So I worry. But what I do with that worry and the same thing is true with fear. uh, What I do with that is I just say, Lord, this is your problem. This is I'm your servant, and you've told me what to do. So the results or the consequences are up to you. Uh, Pino, I've been going through something, you know, with uh, all the new building and things are so crazy expensive. I'm just thinking, Lord, am I? Are we doing the right thing? And I we're writing big checks, and 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 uh, you know, you get to the point where you just say, Jesus, you're the author and finisher of my faith. You didn't begin it, and I have to finish it. It's up to me. It's up to you. 
And all I have to do, Pino, and this is really the way to get over it, is be in his presence. At our church here at Calvary Chapel, uh, our theme for the church has been for many, many years now, just be with Jesus. He's the one that can take those worries. He's the one that can find that that place of peace and rest. And and when we realize that, look, I'm just doing what you told me to do, Lord. I am your servant. Um, so now the consequences, the, the the things that come up as a result of me doing what I did, um, well, well, they're up to you. And I'm going to trust in you. And Pino, I, I don't know about you, but I've got to go to bed at night saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to leave all of this in your hands. Tonight I need to rest. Tonight I want to let you carry my problems so I can I can get some rest. I can also say this, Pino. You need to be, if, if you're a worrier, you need to be in the Word a lot. You need the promises. I tell our people here at Calvary Chapel, um, just Romans chapter 8. If you just memorize the promises that we've been given in Romans chapter 8. Now, obviously, there's promises everywhere in the Bible. But, but just those New Testament promises, they will help you worry less. They will help you deal with your worry. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 will refocus your thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only place, penal that we can be renewed in our mind is in the Word of God. That's the way to get new thinking. And so it's just one of those things where you're going to say, okay, Lord, honestly, and since he knows everything, it's easy to do this. Honestly, Lord, you know that I'm worried. But I'm not going to let being worried, or and, and I think the same thing is true with being afraid. I'm not going to be wor- let being worried or being afraid, I'm not going to let that keep me from being obedient to you because what I really want is for your will to be done in my life. So if you will just focus on that, remember that you're his responsibility and your only role in this is to partner with him. Jesus, you want me to do this thing? I'm going to do it. Well, the consequences then are yours. And if you'll do that, Pino, it'll change things. And you'll have an opportunity to watch God move on your behalf. And pretty soon you're going to get to a point where you say, well, why am I worried? God has always been faithful. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Pino. I've had to say that to myself today probably 10 times. God is always faithful. He's never let me down. Not once has he failed me. And you do that because the enemy is the one sort of behind the scenes pushing all of those worry or fear buttons. And so what you say is, I know where the source of those lies are. And Jesus, I choose right now to trust you. And that will really help with worry and, again, with fear as well. So, Pino, hope that helps you. God bless. Thank you very, very much. Here's an anonymous question. Um, he or she says, I have a dear friend who's a Jehovah's Witness. I don't understand why some people say they are a cult or not saved when they do believe in Jesus. Can you give me a clear response, please? Well, anonymous, they don't really believe in Jesus at all. Now, they use the name. And typically, they don't even use the name. They talk about Jehovah. But Jesus is God. The Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult because they deny his deity. The same thing is true with Mormons. Mormons are great people, but they have a Jesus they can't save because he's not um, um, almighty creator God. So, um, you know, a, a Mormon a Mormon doctrine believes that Jesus and Lucifer are spirit brothers, sort of the good son and the bad son kind of thing, but not the one who said, let there be light, and there was, not the one who created all things. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that uh, Jesus is an incarnation of uh, Michael the Archangel. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses' theology is very dishonest. In their version of the King James Bible, they add uh, words, um, a God and, and, and others. So it's just only God can save. And a cult is defined by denying the character, the nature of Jesus Christ. And in this particular case, your friend, if she really, or if he or she really is a friend, you need to tell them that Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. The Bible is clear. Only God can forgive sins. 
And if Jesus isn't God, then we are all lost. Of course, we know what the Bible teaches. The Jehovah's Witness does not. The Jehovah's Witnesses are uh, very works-oriented. That's why they're knocking on doors. They're trying to gain their way into heaven. You know, when Jehovah's Witnesses were created, it was an inconceivable thought. Charles Taze Russell was the founder. It was uh, an inconceivable thought there to be 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses ever. And so they had a theology that said there's only 144,000 people going to get to heaven. The rest just have to sort of wrestle for those positions. Well, obviously now there are way more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. So now they can't tell you if they're going to heaven. They can't tell you if God is pleased with them. Um, That's why they work really, really hard. And Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you will see there is almost no joy in their lives. Uh, their service to God, their, their version of God is is sort of compulsory. And um, that's why Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult. Now, just because Jehovah's Witnesses, the same thing is true with Mormon, they use the name Jesus. It doesn't change the fact that their Jesus is not the Jesus of the New Testament. So that's why they're a cult. That's why your friend needs to be told the truth. So sit him or sit her down and just tell him, find out. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is creator God? And if only God can forgive sins, that's problematic. So that's the only thing that you can do. And that's as clear a response as I can possibly give. You know, I find um, of all of people, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are the least likely to even be interested in hearing. Um, they, they simply, they've been sort of brainwashed. It's demonic. And um, that means we have to really continue to tell them. If you care about your friend, and you described him or her as a dear friend, then you need to love them enough to tell them the truth. Freddie says, Pastor Ron, I've had people in church prophesy over me. But what they said did not come true. How can I know which prophets are true? Freddie, this is so simple. Uh, prophets, there are no New Testament prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 says the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, are the foundation of the church. The Greek is very clear that that foundation has already been laid. It's in the past tense. And the church is being built. This is Ephesians to and uh, Ephesians chapter 4 combined, the church is being built on that foundation. So that's present active tense. And the church being built, uh, he's given us evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So we're building the church, and we'll continue to build the church until Jesus comes for us. But prophets and apostles are no longer existent today. Now, I realize, even as I say that, and your church experience would vindicate or validate this, uh, there are a bunch of people who call themselves both apostles and prophets. Well, that points them out as false teachers. All of that to say this, Freddie, when people in your church want to prophesy over you, thus saith the Lord, you need to tell them, hey, don't bother. Don't bother prophesying over me because none of them are true. And when they say things that don't come true, that points them out as a false teacher. And Freddie, you need to call them out on it. Not in a combative or a belligerent way, but you call them out and just say, you know what? You said this was going to happen. It didn't happen. You're a false prophet and you need to repent. You're in a church where if this is being permitted to happen in the church, you're in a church that's really abusive spiritually. It's it's a church um, where people are being hurt. And see, your confusion, Freddie, is because there are people who say they are speaking for the Lord, but they're not really speaking for the Lord at all. Now, that problem has been true for the entire history of the church. I mean, the church was barely 20 years old when false teachers were already inside the church. Wherever God is doing a work, Satan is there trying to do his work. And these people that proclaim themselves prophets, uh, they are causing people all kinds of difficulty. So, Freddie, avoid them. Don't listen to them. I remember when I was a pretty new believer, 
um, in the first year. Uh, I, I knew that I'd been called to be a pastor. Uh, I didn't really understand what that was. I wasn't raised in church. So uh, I was called to be a pastor. And I remember going out one morning, taking a walk with the Lord. It was Sunday morning. And uh, I was up really early, and it was uh, I was excited every day to get up and, okay, Lord, what do you have for me today? And I believe, now I realize now this was an, an enemy, but I, I, I really believed that the Lord said, I want you to go to, and he named a church. That church was like 45 minutes away. I says, I want you to go there today. And so I came home to Paul. I said, we had to hurry up. We need to go. And I gave her the name of this church, and we got the directions to the church. And we went, and uh, the pastor of the church was walking up and down the aisles. This this was one of those churches that takes three hours. And he was walking up down the aisles, and he was saying, oh, the Lord wants me to tell you this. The Lord wants me to tell you this, and 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 over and over. And finally, he, he walked by me and stop and look and then keep walking. Then he'd come back and start looking at me again, and then he would keep walking. And then he finally came back and he said, the Lord says, I want you to pay attention today because what I'm doing, you're going to be doing. That's what the Lord has called you to do. Now, I said it was a false prophecy. It was false because the, the, the messenger was false. But, but obviously, Satan knew I'd been called to be a pastor. And he was trying to throw me off and, and, and sort of redirect my ministry uh, however that would look. I try to redirect it in an area or in a direction that wouldn't be fruitful at all. So, um, uh, just we really need never listen to people say I'm speaking for the Lord. One of the rules I tell our people here at Calvary Chapel is if somebody else comes to you and says, "The Lord, put this on my heart for you," we need to be careful about that kind of stuff. Let me warn everybody before you tell anybody God wants you to speak to them. God has a word for them through you. You need to walk in the utmost fear of God. We we just have no fear of God any longer. Speaking for God is a big, big, big cross to bear. And so when somebody comes up and says, God wants me to say this to you, it needs to be something that God's already been dealing with you on. It may be something that you haven't been obedient to. I've had God use people to speak to me, especially in those early days of my walk, <clears throat> excuse me, when, um, uh, you know, I, I was still trying to learn how to be a Christian, and there were some things I was doing that I, that I shouldn't have been doing, and I'm still lying and, and those kind of things. And, um, you know, the, the, the effect was uh, it was God using a person to send the Spirit to convict me of something that I had already been convicted of and hadn't responded to. That's really the only possible way that the Lord would have anybody come to you and say, here's what the Lord has put on my heart for you. So I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Arthur from Bernie on line one. Arthur, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, sir. Uh, yes, I just had a couple of quick questions. Um, uh, you were just talking about the prophecy and all that, you know, prophet. Uh, I was wondering, um, uh, can you, <clears throat> is there anything wrong with, uh, you know, bringing forth, if you have a, a dream and you know in your spirit that God has told you this is a prophetic dream, I had three dreams, they're all in one, and, uh, but, uh, and also God gave you interpretations too. But also, I'm, at, I'm wondering about the prophetic word of knowledge, which I've had a couple of those, and they have come to pass also. Now, the three dreams, only one left to come to pass, and that was about the end times. We will be hitting somewhere. That was back, start back in 13, or 13, 13, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 16 when I had the dream. So nothing really uh, goes against God's word, but this is just an extra uh, knowledge and prophecy to get our family together and say, hey, you know, we've got to really wake up. <laughs> so yeah. that was what the dreams were about, you know, but I'm not bringing it forth saying, well, God said this or God said that. But yes, I have raised my hand to the family and said, that God strike me dead now if I'm lying about this, but the less is what the Lord has given me and the prophetic prophecy is from God, you know. 
Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I said, strike me dead this second if I'm lying to you about that. But anyway, yeah. so I just thought I would I would let you uh, ask you that, and, uh, and then I'll just uh, guess I'll listen to you then. Thank you, Arthur, and I'm so glad you asked that question because that, that demonstrates the distinction between the offices of a prophet and apostle and the gifts that uh, are already in existence today. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 speaks about gifts. And, and a word of knowledge is really important. I've had God use me to deliver words of knowledge. You know, sometimes I was aware uh, that, that God was doing something. Other times it was just something coming out of my mouth that I didn't really, um, had no plans on saying. But it was a word of knowledge. Um, and, and those are gifts. And those gifts are to be used, according to First Corinthians 12, for the edifying or the strengthening of the body. So completely different thing. Um, uh, I was once sharing with a young man, and he wanted to talk to me over and over and over. And um, he he just he would never make any decision. Um, he would make appointments and break appointments. And and finally, the Lord uh, I was talking to him one day, and the Lord said he's he's gay. And and uh, so I just asked him. I said, Look, are you gay? And he turned ashen white. And that was a word of knowledge. Um, when we have afterglows here at Calvary Chapel, um, often there will be words of knowledge, but always for the edifying or the strengthening of the body. So those are gifts, and that is not the same thing as a thus saith the Lord. Uh, it's just out there, and it can be used uh, for God's glory. Now, interpreting dreams is something completely different. Uh, I'm not a dreamer. Paula uh, is more of a dreamer than I am. Um, uh, we I, I, we have a, a couple of ladies here in the church. One in particular that comes to mind, um, who um, who who I've I've watched as God has given her interpretation of dreams, but I just think we have to be so careful with dreams, because dreams are usually nothing more than dreams. And if God gives you a dream, he wants you to know what it means. Now, he won't tell you always what it means right away. It's sort of one of those file it away. And when the time is right, he'll provide the meaning of that dream for you. Uh, but when we do that, we just have to be really, really careful because we we get into a sort of a, a crazy charismatic situation and, and we end up trying to find meaning in every dream. And, and I, I want to repeat, most dreams are just dreams. But Arthur, the question you brought up completely different from the Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 offices of prophet and apostle. So, yeah, um, um, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Uh, typically, I think wisdom deals with the delivery of the word of knowledge or the timing of the word of knowledge. But uh, those are gifts that are very much needed in the church. Uh, and when, when in, a, in a corporate setting, when those things are said, or in your case, in a f- family setting, um, they would be words that God wants to use you to encourage others for. So that that's the exact correct use of those gifts. And those gifts are different. The gift of prophecy is, is a telling forth of God's word. Now, the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. In the Old Testament, the prophets like Amos that we're studying tonight... Um, God called him. He he wasn't trained. He was just a regular guy, kind of a um, Andy Mayberry type of guy, a farmer and a rancher. Um, but but the gift of prophecy has a very specific purpose in the New Testament body, and it's one of those things. Um, I think, as you demonstrated, uh, we got to get serious about this family. Let's let's get together and seek the Lord. I think those are the kind of of gifts that God uses for his glory. So, Arthur, that was a great question on the heels of the other one. I thank you very, very much for calling. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. i got two minutes. Let's see if I have a question. Millie says, I know God loves the world, but how and why could he save some people who are just really evil? You know, Millie, whenever you get questions like this, Usually it comes from somebody, I don't know you, so this isn't personal, but usually it comes from somebody who thinks they're better than other people. I got to tell you, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor now for almost 29 years. And as a pastor, 
I realize that my flesh is just as stinky, just as ugly as it ever was before I got saved. And so when I have somebody come in, they've done something really, really bad. I'm not shocked or surprised. What I can do is tell them, look, if Jesus forgave me, he can forgive you. That's why he saves people, because for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Millie, if we have a a sense that, well, what they do is worse than what I do, I think we forget that our sin, not somebody else's sin, our sin separates us from God. Our sin can break off a fellowship with God, not, not causing a loss of salvation, but break off fellowship. And I think because we've been forgiven, Paul would say that he was the worst of sinners or the chief of sinners, the worst of the worst. And the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was saved in spite of the fact that he persecuted the church of God, in spite of the fact that he gave the thumbs up to Stephen being the first martyr of the church. And Paul said, look, if he can save me, he can save you. Millie, that's the approach we need to take with some of these really bad people. Except for the grace of God, there go I. We've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show. You know what that means? We're a half hour closer to Paula being here tomorrow. 340-9585. Here's a question from AJ. And let me warn everybody, I'm going to go off on this question. AJ says, Pastor Ryan, how should we counsel someone whose teenagers are lost in social media and the parents are afraid to limit their use? AJ, parents need to be parents and not friends. We don't understand the impact social media is having on our children. We don't understand how it's ripping their souls from them how it's brainwashing them. We don't understand the psychological dynamics. We certainly don't understand. Remember, Satan is called the prince of the air, the little G god of the air. Uh, We know he's using it. And these children are being brainwashed. Now, we would not give our kids bad things if we knew those things were going to hurt them. Why is it that we don't treat social media the same way? I suggested in a message not too long ago that parents don't give their kids cell phones. And you'd think I'd told them you might as well give them polio or something. Well, they can't live without it. Of course they can. People have grown up without cell phones my whole generation and beyond. Parents need to be parents And the things that are causing your children harm need to be supervised and or limited or and or prohibited in your homes. AJ, I know what it would have been like for me. You know, for me, growing up, um, pornography was sneaking a peek at a Playboy magazine. I, I know how I would have responded if I had pornography in my pocket, on my phone, with that kind of access, it would have destroyed me. And yet we let our children take those cell phones into their rooms, close the door, and it's just sleeping. They're, they're up to all hours of night looking at pornography. We're giving the devil the, the, the weapons to destroy our kids. Why would we do that? And so I would counsel these parents, it's time for you to step up and rightly represent God. And if your kids are mad at you, you've got to be able to take that. But a, a child that is being formed, I mean, in, in, in the formative years, psychologically at least, not only physically with their bodies, but, but these kids, they need to be told no. And I've had very candid conversation with parents. If you're not willing to do that, 
then you're not the godly parent that God wants you to be, and there's going to be consequences for that. I think we need to be that direct with people, again, to see what social media is doing with kids. These kids that have suddenly decided that they're in the wrong body. And and I know I'm born female, but, but I'm really a male. Um, men, they start talking to people on social media. And they get encouraged, do this and do that, and don't tell your parents. And um, it's just... They, they 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 really have lost control of their minds. And the parent who permits that is culpable. The parent who, who doesn't limit that use or at, at the very least um, really strongly supervise the use of social media. That person is going to stand before God and explain, I gave you these children to love. I gave you these children to protect. I gave you these children to raise in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Why didn't you do it? Why were you ashamed of me? Why did you cave in just because your child said everybody else has one? You know, when I grew up, AJ, my mom, who was very conservative, I said, but mom, everybody gets to do this. All the other kids get to do this. And my mom used to say the same thing every time. Well, if all the other moms let you jump off a cliff, let their kids jump off a cliff, should I let you jump off a cliff? No, mom, it's not that. But she was never, she never wavered in that. And this is a tough world for these kids to be raised in. And we're giving the devil the ammunition to destroy your children and people say, but the world has changed now. Well, I think it's time for us who are Christians, we who are Christians, to take the world back. That's what Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I mentioned the first half of the program, is all about. We're not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. You're responsible for the well-being of your child physically, sexually, psychologically. And, and God's entrusted you with their care. Why is it that we'd give them that information? So that's what I would do. That's not only what I would do, that's what I've done many, many times. And I'll just tell you up front, AJ, most parents simply won't listen. They won't listen. I can see them checking out as I'm telling them because the idea that, well, my kid would hate me, who cares? Who cares? Even before I was saved, and this was mostly due to Paula, um, we had discipline in our family. There were things our kids couldn't do. There were things they were expected to do. They were expected to be respectful. They were expected to be polite. Um, they were expected to be kind uh, to their elders. Uh, we we believed the teachers when they said our kids were goofing off. Um and there were times my kids were really upset with me. But I'm great friends with my boys now. And believe me, it may not seem like it when your kids are teenagers. But there's a whole lot of life, more life, after your kids are out of their teens than before. And the goal is, one, to get them to heaven, show them who Jesus really is, and for them to respect your authority. And if you cave in to the whims of the world, they will never respect you or the authority that God has given parents. We who are parents, we need to take back those positions of authority. So, A.G., I told you I was going to go off on that, so I apologize. Here's a question from Kenneth. Um these are here's another hard one for kids. My son has fallen for a girl who's not a believer. Should I accept the relationship in hopes that she will be one to the faith? Kenneth, you don't tell me how old your son is. Um but 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 no parent should ever accept a relationship that God forbids. So no, God doesn't need your son to evangelize this girl. And here's the other thing, your son um, evidently a believer, at least that's what you think. 
Um, when he's dating a girl who's not a believer, guess what? They're going to end up doing things that unbelieving kids do physically. So you can never accept sin. You need to tell your child. And again, if this child is at home, if it's a teenager, you say, look, this is the way it's going to be. My house, my rules. And your child won't like it, but Jesus will be thrilled. So, no, you can never accept a relationship that is contrary to the Word of God. And, um, you know, this evangelism dating simply doesn't work. There's always a lot of pain. Um, I could be a little more direct if I had ages and whether your your son was still in your home or not. But um, remember, everything that happens under your roof, everything has to be governed by God. Your home belongs to the Lord. Your child doesn't get a vote. They're not allowed an opinion. This house belongs to the Lord, and we're going to stand for him. So be firm. Be firm. Not mean, not ugly, but be firm. And just convince your son or tell your son, try to convince your son, that you love Jesus so much that you're concerned more about his being pleased with you than your child being pleased with you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Zach, um, Pastor. I'm sure you've heard about the controversy regarding T.D. Jakes. How should we view those accusations? Uh, I don't really want to talk about the accusations because I don't know that they're true. Um, yes, they are um, um, all over social media. Um, uh, I I don't. But again, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean that it's true. Uh, but I can say this about T.D. Jakes. He's a false teacher. He's a oneness Pentecostal, which means he's probably not a born-again believer. You cannot believe um, that, that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and Jesus is the Spirit. Our God has been revealed to us uh, it, three persons, one God but three persons. And to deny that essential of the historic Christian faith sets you outside um, the boundaries of orthodoxy. So um, T.D. Jakes is to be avoided at all costs. Now, regarding the accusations, again, I, I told you I'm not going to speak about them because I don't know whether or not they're true, but they are serious. Uh, he has not responded to those uh, allegations uh, in a godly way. Uh, he hasn't denied them outright. And... Um, I just don't think we should be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. So, Zach, that's all I really am going to say on that. T.D. Jakes is not somebody that Christians ought to be listening to. Here's a question from Yoli. She wants to know, how could Abraham be credited with righteousness without believing in Jesus? Yoli, um, you and I were credited with righteousness before we believed in Jesus Christ. That's what caused us to believe. We were convinced or convicted, whatever word you prefer, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, he will convince the world or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Um, and and the, the righteousness comes from believing God, having faith in God, believing his word. I love in Genesis uh, chapter 12 and 15 when um, Abraham is credited with righteousness because he believed God. It doesn't say believed in God. It said he believed him. That's the faith. And faith comes from the word. And and when we believe, then we're credited with righteousness. Yoli, the people who were born before Jesus was on this earth, they were saved by believing in the promises of God and looking forward to the cross. Of course, they had no idea about the cross. They could have once the the Old Testament was out. I mean, um, the Psalms um, speak about uh, the suffering servant passages. Isaiah would would speak of the suffering servant passages uh, over and over and over. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of the one who would come. And they believed God, and they looked forward to Jesus coming. So that's saving faith. You and I, Yoli, It should be easier for us because we look back at the historical fact of the cross. 
It is a fact Jesus lived. It is a fact that he was murdered. It is a fact, all of this with overwhelming evidence that he was risen from the dead. So we look at the facts and we come to the conclusion, of course, it's true, and we believe. So that's faith. But we look back at the cross. Before Jesus, they looked forward to the cross. But salvation was always the same way, the same basis. By faith, Abraham believed God and he was credited with righteousness. Again, I want to emphasize, it doesn't say he believed in God. He believed God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Good question, Yoli. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, 877-630-KSLR. Pauline says, How do you see people who say they are saved but have no fruit at all from their lives? You know, Pauline, that is just a fact of life. Um, A Christian is not defined by what he or she says they are. A Christian is defined by how they live their lives. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. I I would suggest that loving Jesus is a, a prerequisite to being saved. And Jesus said, if you love me, then you will obey me. Uh, Paul talks about the fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. If those fruits don't characterize somebody's life, um, somebody's level of interest in God. I get people all the time who say, yeah, I'm saved, but I just don't, don't really, I'm not interested in the Bible. Or, or the people now and their, their legion in our church culture. Well, I just don't think you have to go to church to be a Christian. If you're really saved, you'd want to be in church. If you're really saved, you, you'd have a hunger for the things of God, and the answers can only be found in the Word of God. It's amazing, especially among younger people now. They'll spend all day with their faces in their phones, all over social media, um, all of the apps that they have, and, and yet the idea of spending an hour a day in the Word is like overwhelming to them. So, Pauline, I just if if there's somebody who says they're saved but there's no fruit in their life, and I have any influence in their life or we have any opportunity to interact about it, um, I ask them why they think they're saved, and the answers I get are amazing. They'll say, "Well, well, I was raised in church, or my family is Christian. Um, well, I'm a good person. All, all those things." I say, well, none of that saves you, and that usually will open an opportunity for me to speak to them about what it really means to be saved. And I'm really direct with people. If you meet the Jesus that I know, he'll change you. And I'll ask him, has your life changed since the time that you say you were saved? And I can tell you this, there is not a single person in the world, whether if they, they say they're a Christian, if they're living in sin, none of them has any comfort regarding their eternal security. And the Holy Spirit can use you, Pauline, to speak to people in this condition. And this is a a very commonplace in the church. People think, well, I go to church. That doesn't save you. Well, Well, I answered an altar call. That doesn't save you. I was baptized as a baby. That didn't save you. Except a man or woman be born again They will in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, the most religious man in Jerusalem. He said it to him two times in the same conversation. Two times. In other words, Nicodemus, are you getting this? You of all people shouldn't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So that's what we do. I just ask him, so what makes you think you're saved? One other comment, Pauline, what I have done in my life experientially is I treat people according to how they live their lives rather than what they say. If somebody is living like an unbeliever, I treat them like an unbeliever. I've had people get really angry with me. Well, you keep saying I need to be saved. I'm a Christian. And then again, the opportunity arises. Well, why do you think that? What do you think it means to be a Christian? And I can show them in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5. I can show them people who live like you're living now, 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't sound saved to me. And I think we need to be that direct with them. So thank you very, very much. Jefferson says, I'm called to be a pastor. What role does my family and close friends have on that calling? Oh, boy, Jefferson, that's a great question. I may have Paula talk about this a little bit on tomorrow's program if she doesn't already have her her, her show uh, already planned out. But um, um, let me first of all say that call, being called to be a pastor is a great honor and a great privilege, and you need to cherish it. Your family, especially your wife, Jefferson, is your partner in that calling. You can't do what God has called you to do without her. In my Bible study tonight, Amos 3.3, and this is way out of context, but the principle works very well. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? You have to understand that your wife is your partner, and you and her have to start from the same place and walk at the same pace and follow the Lord together. You've got to agree that Jesus is going to be the Lord of your life and whatever you are reading the Bible that you're supposed to do, that together you're committed, one flesh, to doing that. So that's the most important person in your family when it relates to this. The rest of your family and close friends, well, then they've got to be able to see this calling in your life and they've got to benefit from that calling. They've got to see that you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, that that. You're a man who is serious about your calling and your commitment to Jesus Christ. So it's very important. Your family cannot be out of control. Um, you know, you can't, if, if you have teenage kids or college-age kids or something, you can't, you can't make them get saved, but you can make sure that they're raised in a house that honors the Lord. And you can be sure that they are raised in a way where they understand that, that your authority and your authority given by Christ is, is the final ruling. So it's important. Um, but it's a wonderful calling. It is the greatest gift God has ever given me uh, in terms of ministry. And uh, twenty almost 29 years in, um, believe me, I just, it, it's the older I get, the more of an honor and a privilege it, it is. Thank you very, very much. Mitch says, when you choose a pastor or elder, what is the process? Um, Mitch, this will be the last question I get to. This will take, take the time I have left. Um, I think the first process is just watching people um, you know, the Lord will bring people uh, in my path that, that, that well, I, I don't know what I'm called to, but I think God wants me to do this, wants me. I love when people start to get curious and answer the call of God. Um, but but my process of, of getting them to be pastor elder, now remember, I've got two youth pastors, junior high and high school pastors, who were raised in this church from babies. And um, um, watching them grow, watching the choices they make, being able to talk to them about the consequences of the bad choice they make. And both of them have made bad choices when they were young. But how they respond. So when I see God's hand is on somebody, I never tell somebody, God wants you to be a pastor. I, I, it's not my job to tell people what their calling is. But when people come to me and say, I feel like I'm called to be a pastor, I can confirm, I see that calling in your life. And then I let him, I'm going to watch him. One thing that I do, Mitch, is is before I ever lay hands on somebody to ordain, ordain them as a pastor, when I start to see evidence that God's hand is, is at work in their lives, I watch their wives for at least six months, most often for longer than that. I watch their wives to see, is your wife growing in the Lord? Does your wife have the peace and security of knowing that, that her husband loves her and is a crazy about her? Uh, is your wife um, consistent in her walk with the Lord? Uh, are you together or do I see you scattered or doing things? So I watch a man's marriage very, very closely. And when I see the evidence that his faith has value at home, well, that's a pretty good indication that God is preparing that man for a calling to be a pastor. So that's the process. Then what I'll do always, I, I ask Paula to pray. Um 
I, I don't. I, she, God will speak through Paula, and um, then I'll bring our elders and other pastors uh, into the process. And typically, we have uh, unanimous agreement that oh yeah, we can see the hand of God in this person, that person. Um, it's just the best thing to see people who are just so lost. And then to see what God will do to that man or that woman who will abandon themselves to him. And that is the best thing ever, Mitch. I'm having a meeting uh, next week with a, a young couple. Um, and this man's obviously got hands God, God's hand is on him. And just to see what these last three, three years, three and a half years have been like for him based on where he came from. It's just like, okay, Lord, you are so good to me. Look at what you're, what you're preparing. And so that's the process that we go through. Thank you for the question, Mitch. Appreciate it very, very much. Hey, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the Date Day Show. We'd love to have your calls, questions, or comments. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.